Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? All right. Well, glad you asked. Uh, I'm battling a bit of a sinus infection. Um, I did test negative for COVID. Um, so, <laughs> but I still don't feel good. So, uh, Tom has been great. He made me some good tea. Uh, Mary P. gave me uh, cough drops. And the Lord is with me. So, I think we'll be okay. Uh, you guys like Pope jokes? Yeah. <laughs> well, I got one for you. So, the Pope is asked to speak at the United Nations building in New York City. So, he gets on a plane from Rome, flies to New York, and there's bad weather. So, his plane is delayed. So, he lands in New York, limo driver picks him up, and proceeds to drive through New York City only to be hit with gridlock traffic. Pope asks the driver, he goes, hey, is there any way you can get us here a little quicker? Driver says, Pontiff, this is New York City traffic. No one's getting through this. Pope goes, I'll tell you what, why don't you let me drive? So the driver says, I'm not going to argue with you. They switch seats. Pope gets in the driver's seat. Driver gets in the back. Pope starts weaving in and out of traffic, maybe using a little bit of the sidewalk. No one's getting hurt. <laughs> but he's making really good time. And he gets within a block of the UN building when he's pulled over by NYPD. Officer gets out of the squad car, walks up to the window, taps on the glass, Pope rolls it down, gives a little wave. Officer looks at the Pope, looks at the back of the limo, looks at the Pope, flips his ticket book closed, walks back to his squad car, <laughs> says, continue on. Pope drives, makes it to the UN on time to give his very important speech. Officer gets in the squad car. His partner goes, what, no ticket? And the officer goes, Nope. That guy is way too important. Partner goes, what? Was it the mayor of New York in that limo? Officer goes, nope, way more important than the mayor. So the partner goes, what, the, a governor? You got a governor in the back of the limo? Officer goes, nope, way more important than a governor. Partner goes, what? President of the United States? You got the President of the United States in the back of that limo? It's like, nope. Way more important than the President of the United States. The partner goes, well, who? Who is it? Officer goes, I don't know who that guy was, but whoever he is, he's being driven around by the Pope. You know, so often we can feel like we're just not that important. Yet, when we're driven by God, we are. Because he is extraordinary. And so as he drives us, we take part in that extraordinary plan that he is writing. And so... That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. 
That's why God equips us through His Spirit to lead us, to drive us when we let Him, when we give Him the steering wheel. So, um, we're going to be talking about discipleship this morning, but I want to start with just what God is calling us to do, where He is driving us. And so, those things um, have come to me you know, over the years, and, and I've, I've come to just share with people, if you really want to know God, and what he's doing in your life. Start a garden. Start a garden. Because he wants you to be planted, rooted, growing, and going. And so, planted is salvation. right? He wants you planted on that truth that it is only through him, he, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you now, in accepting that, have life and his Holy Spirit now living in you. And then it's being rooted in who God is. It's foundational. This is what we're doing this week at VBS, the Creative Arts Camp. We are going to go over the names of God with the kids so they have that foundation. It's one thing to be told this person loves you. It's another thing to know who that person is, who loves you. Foundation, deep roots in who God is and his truth and his calling for your life. And then it's growing, right? You never stop growing. This is maturing in God's word. And again, this, we, we continually are doing this. And then going. Going is discipleship. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, is a great commission. And it says, Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach, underline that word teach, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, to the end of time. He is with us. You can follow along today on the YouVersion app. Just click the More tab and Events, and then select Genesis Church. You can also follow along uh, as all the verses will be up on the screens. Before we get into it, let's pray. Holy Father, we just thank you so much for this local church in Genesis. We thank you so much for this morning, Father. I just pray for softened hearts, Lord. Soft soil this morning to, to just absorb your truth, your word. Whatever we may have brought in this morning to harden that soil, give us the strength to give it to you so that we can hear your word, hear your calling, and let it be deeply rooted into our soul. We give this time to you in Jesus' great name. Amen. So, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, that say, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are 
are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God makes so much of you. You know, we talked about last month as we were uh, talking about heaven, like that that's what was accomplished on the cross. That's what you're called into as children of God and as the bride of Christ, the church, that we are co-heirs on the throne for eternity. God makes much of you. But he does it to make much of himself. He does it so that you can shine to this broken world and that they will see God working through your life, through the Holy Spirit, and he will be glorified through it. We are not just saved people. We are sent people. It's with a purpose. You know, when people are born, um, or you know, th- there's two, uh, the g- two greatest moments in every life, they say, is the day you're born and the day you find out why you were born. And this is why I hope for this morning, that you find that this is the purpose. This is why you're here. And it's an eternal purpose to reflect Jesus to this broken world, a world that desperately needs him. And through that, Oh, God will be glorified and people's lives will be changed. And I'll, I will always bring up those holy high fives that you have an eternity with these people that you had a part in. This is how good God is. This is how unselfish God is, that he calls us into his plan, right? To be co-laborers in this plan. So, Jesus hasn't just made us followers of him for our own benefit or so we could just be Christian around other Christians. But we were made for something so much more, something called discipleship. Discipleship is what a mature Christian does. And I had mentioned earlier this cycle that's in the gospel of being planted, rooted, growing, and going. And so that's where as you're growing, right, you will be, be going and making disciples. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, I may say that a lot, but the whole Bible is good, but I like a lot, but this really is. This is probably my top five. It's Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. This is Uh, the area of uh, or region of Galilee. Teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Underline that word, compassion. Why did he have compassion? It says, because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Whose harvest is it? It's his. It's his harvest. He's in charge of it. He's the one who causes it to grow. But who does he send to reap the harvest? It's us. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 10 for application on what discipleship looks like in our lives. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority, there's that word again, to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the zealot. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. We'll take a minute on Judas. Um, you guys ever notice that? Judas is part of the 12. Like, it's sent out to evangelize, and to share the glory of God. He's part of this. He's doing miracles. He's healing, sharing the good news of Jesus. Judas betrayed Jesus. How does that work? Because again, God makes much of us, but we still have the capacity of selfishness that we can use that to just end it there and just make much of ourselves. See, Judas wasn't using God's power for his God's glory. He was using it for his own glory. It was self-grasping. In other words, Judas never died to himself. Because again, he had that power. That power comes from God. But Paul talked about it. Paul said, I could be bringing people to to Christ, but I could not be right with him. Myself. Jesus talked about it. He said, truly, truly, the day, just two verses earlier than this, he goes, the day will come, you'll see me. He'll say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not do good deeds in your name? Did I not proclaim your goodness? to this world, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. It wasn't this relationship. That's why it's not just about being planted, but being rooted deeply in relationship with Christ and growing in that. Because God doesn't change, but we do. And as we grow, it's saying, whoa, God is good. God is good. God is good. As we're growing in that we see more of him because of our growth. We see how good God is, and that's that maturing and that going and sharing, living out our purpose. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Now, I'll pause there because, so it's weird because Jesus 
prior to this, he went to Samaria, right? He, he went to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he preached to her, right? So this is kind of odd, but don't uh, stray away from, again, God's, what he's doing here. God, God is building foundation, right, um, of his plan, right, through, through Jesus, and it, it, it's still coming out of the Old Testament. God's chosen people was, is Israel, right? The reason for that is you can't know darkness without light, right? You can't know good without evil. And so God had to cho- choose a people, which was the Jews, Israel, to reflect his goodness, to be different. That's that word holy, to be set apart, different, to be new, so that the world can take notice and be like, oh, that's different. That's new. I, I like that. I, I, I'm attracted to that. That's, that's irresistible. That's that irresistible grace from God, right? And of how he is showing this through these people. So that's that specific task of these 12 to go to the people of Israel. We are now out of that because what happened, right? Paul talks about now the, the, the Gentiles, right, are brought into this. And so a Gentile is a non-Jew. So if you have the Jews, Israel, and you have the non-Jews, right, just everybody else, put your hands together, that's everybody. That's everybody. So that's who we are now to go out and disciple. He says, Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Give as freely as you have received. We can only give what we have. So that's that receiving from God daily. And giving that out, that compassion, that love, that grace, that patience, that kindness. Heal the sick and raise the dead. This is so interesting to me. I'll be just like, man, like I don't see people, you know, like like just raising people from the dead and stuff like that. And I was like, really? And I get that, right? I mean, this, this physical like awe of like, oh my gosh, someone was dead, now they're alive. Please don't miss this this morning. You have the power in sharing Jesus with a lost soul to spiritually raise someone from the dead. And that is so much greater. That's a fact. That is so much greater than bringing someone's physical body back to life. There's an old joke with Lazarus, Lazarus, that he must have been so angry <laughs> that Jesus brought him back to life. He was in the fullness of God. And he's brought back on earth. And here's the other thing with that. That's temporary because you're just going to die again. So as Jesus did that with purpose and sent the apostles out in that day of purpose, do not leave today without knowing it is a greater thing, and we have the ability to do this daily, to share Christ, with people, to do life with people, reflecting God to them. And they see the goodness and God's irresistible grace through that, and they repent and accept him. 
and are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their lives are changed. They now have eternal life. They will never die. Spiritual resurrection is so much more powerful than physical resurrection. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, silver, or even copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. You ever notice this? How crazy is that? Jesus is sending out the apostles with nothing. Nothing. Like, that doesn't seem that wise. Like, nothing. But what did they have? Holy Spirit. They had him, and he is with them always. And there's a really big element to that. You see, If you go out in your, you know, brand new Nikes, Air Max, and or your new Yeezys, Wide Threes, and you're just walking the earth, there'll be people out there that are going to give credit to your shoes. They'll be like, well, you can only do that because look at these sweet shoes you got. You go out with all this money, and it's like, hey, guys, let me take you to lunch, and and spend all the money, well, man, there's opportunity there for the money to get the glory. You see that? This is why God makes so much of you. You don't compare with anything else this world has to offer. And he does that so he gets all the glory. It's unexplainable. It's not because of your money. It's not because of your status. That's why he makes the most out of the least of these. This is how important you are. This is what God has made you for. Jesus continues to say, whenever you enter a a city or village, search for a worthy person and stay in his home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. If it turns out to be a worthy home, let your blessing stand. If it is not, take back the blessing. If the household or town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, Shake its dust from your feet as you leave. I tell you the truth. The wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah would be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. Hmm. Worthy people. Sounds harsh, but it's just realistic. It's like pearls to pigs. You're going to share... God's glory with some people, and they will trample all over it. They will mock you, tell you how ridiculous you are, make you not feel very good. It could even make you question some stuff. But this is how good God is, and why that maturing and being with him and his people is so important. Getting your authority from him, your energy, your strength from him, So the call to discipleship. Every single person who believes in Jesus and calls him Lord is called to discipleship. Discipleship 
is the call to reproduce. It's to disciple people, to disciple others, to teach people who teach others. This is not a simple handout Bible tracts. This is not the corner with a sign saying turn or burn. No, this is doing life with someone. This is filled with compassion and love and patience. This is inviting someone over for a dinner, meeting them with coffee, listening to them and pouring into them, slowly earning that right to pour more and more into their lives. Doing what Jesus did. It's a great commission, not the great suggestion. It's a commandment to disciple. It is. It's not a choice to consider, but a commandment to obey. It's not optional. And you can do it. I want you to feel that this morning. You can do it because the authority is given to you from God. And I want to squash a couple lies this morning of like this thought of, well, that's what pastors do, right? But you don't have to have the title pastor to be a pastor, which just means shepherd. You don't have to be a super Christian uh, or a Bible scholar. You just following Jesus makes you super. Remember, Jesus used 12 people that were uneducated and honestly uneloquent to grow the church over 400 times its size in just a few years. In a recent poll done by Harvard, 150,000 pastors in America filled out this little survey. And 50% of them had no college and no seminary training at all. 18% had college training only. And then 12% had seminary training or degrees only. This leaves only 20% of pastors in America who have both a college degree and seminary training or seminary degree. 20% leaves 80% do not. And when you go worldwide, that number is greatly reduced. You can do this, okay? Seminary does not make pastors. God makes pastors. And you can do it. And, and you don't need the degree. I, I tell people, I meant DTS.org, Dallas Theological Seminary. I tell people all the time, you can go online for free, go through seminary. If you want, you won't get that. You get little certificates. Um, but, you know, you got to pay for that diploma. But you're still getting that training. I'm, I'm not saying this isn't, you know, sharpen yourself and grow. That's all part of the growth. I'm saying you don't need that paper. You don't need that title because you got it from God. He has sent you out to be shepherd to the lost sheep, and that's a pastor. Hmm. Remember that we can and are commanded to disciple within our own families, our workplaces, our social circles, groups, and outreaches. 
we are called to disciple. Using every opportunity we have to show the love of Jesus to others. It just takes getting involved, being intentional, and tuning in to the leading of Jesus and letting him drive us. You know, Carmel can testify to this, but I am not the most compassionate person. But it takes that intentionality. I have this other thing I started saying recently. You got to wake up twice in the morning. I wake up physically, but I have to wake up spiritually every morning. Time with God. Remember that grace that is pouring over me. That compassion he has on me. And as, as I absorb that, I am able to give that to others. As I don't absorb that, I am not able to give that to others. This is where that growth is so important in this cycle. To be constantly going back to the source that fills you with authority and this mission every day. So we are empowered for discipleship. It's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority. The word authority, this is the Greek word, exousia. It's exousia. And this word, it's beyond the right to do something, like someone just allowing you to do something, like go do this, like a task. This word is deeper than that. It means to give you authority, but the ability to do it. So not just go do this, like go do this because I have equipped you to do this. That's that word, authority. Jesus empowers us because he's sending us to go make use of that power, that authority, to witness him to others. As believers in Jesus, we have the Spirit of God indwelling in us so that his good news, the gospel, can be spread throughout the world. This is that purpose, and it has eternal implications. This is the greatest purpose you can ever have. Discipleship depends more on who God is rather than who we are. This is where we may be ordinary people, but we are extraordinary with God because it is him in us. The God who created an immeasurable greatness in this world, the universe and everything in it, something so big we can't even comprehend. As soon as we think we do, we find out more. And it's like, oh my gosh, how, how amazing this creation is. This is the one who has created you. And know that a God who's that big, have the faith in you that a God that big and dwelling in you can do big things with you as you obey and go out and disciple others, building up his kingdom. Because if we're honest, 
We spend a whole lot of time building up our own kingdom. And it's just not satisfying because it's not what we were meant for. We're meant to build up his kingdom. But always have faith that Jesus is with you wherever you go through the Holy Spirit. And with him, extraordinary things will happen as we go out in faith. So who do we disciple with? Well, Matthew 10, verse 11 said, Whenever you enter a city or village, search for a worthy person. Stay in their home until you leave town. When you enter the home, give it your blessing. So Jesus tells us to look for worthy people. I'm going to tell you, um, look for people who are fat. And before you get mad at me, um, I will explain this, and this is what was taught to me. This is what I'm teaching you, but you will thank me years down the road for this because this will save you a lot of grief and time. Where we are to evangelize, we're to share. We can't help but sharing the good news of Jesus. But this is specific for discipleship. What should I look in a person in my life who's worthy to disciple? First one is the F. Someone who's faithful. The second thing is someone who's available. And the third thing is someone who's teachable. Faithfulness is essential because it's the measure of trustworthiness. Luke 16.10 says, he who is faithful in a very little will be faithful in larger things. They're trustworthy. Look what they're doing. They're faithful. They show up. They, they uh, pour into people. They have this true sense of caring for others, compassion and love and grace. And they're, they're, they're just faithful in what you what they do. You can see this in them. Faithfulness is an indicator of whether a person can be trusted to steward something well. If you want to know how a person will respond to the opportunity to being discipled, observe how the person is handling their current growth opportunity. Like you can see this. Are they going to Bible study, involved in a group? You can just see this in them. And that's the best indicator of how they will handle a new opportunity of being discipled, poured into. Those who are faithful with what they already have are probably ready for more. The next essential is availability. This is a measure of priorities. Nobody is too busy. It is just a matter of what their priorities are. So we live in a culture where the number one obstacle of discipleship making, pouring into others, is busyness. People just don't have enough time. So as you talk with people around you, notice, is this something in their language, in their conversation? Man, I'm just so busy. I don't have time for this. I've got all this going on. The kids got all this stuff going on. It's like all these, I got soccer, I got baseball. I got all this stuff going on. It's just like, ah, I tell you, if someone's not available, can't do nothing with it. You can't. It takes time. It takes a desire to want to be poured into. Since we all make time for what's most important to us, it actually is a priority issue. So availability. Where are their priorities? And is this part of it? The last one, the T, is teachability. Teachability is a measure of both humility and a hunger to learn, to want to know more. 
The truth is some people just aren't interested in growing or learning. They're just not. They just don't have a hunger to grow. They're fine just where they are. As you spend time around people, see if someone stands out. It's just they're hungry to learn. I see this in people. Like they're, they're, just, they're sharing scripture with me. Man, I'm growing being around them. They're eager to learn from you, too. This is an important aspect. And now, it's important not to confuse teachability with a willingness to conform to your thoughts and beliefs and ways. The Bereans were praised by Paul because they didn't simply trust what he taught. Instead, they checked it against Scripture. This is a good thing to get a little static from someone. This actually shows how important it is to them. Teachability is a genuine desire to learn and grow, but it's also a commitment to wrestle with different viewpoints in order to become more like Jesus, of always measuring them to Scripture, God's Word. As you go and make disciples, have faith that God is working, even when you don't feel it or see it. Even if you pour into just one person, it's worth it. You know, I'll tell you, it's not easy. Like, I usually have three, three strike rule. I'll do sometimes. I have it with pastors, too, and I tell them. Like, you want to go meet me for coffee? And you stand me up? I'll give you once. I'll give you twice. Stand me up three times? I may not answer anymore. Because time is limited. And there's other people there that, who are starving. They can't wait to have someone pour into them, equip them so they can go pour into others. This is so ingrained in me. Because it, it's the Holy Spirit. It's what he drives me to do. I am here. I am paid to pour into you guys. But I have a group of men that I pour into outside of Genesis because this is what I'm called to do. And I want to do that. I don't want to think I'm just doing this because I'm paid to do it. No. And these are hungry men who can't wait. And I tell them, I'm like, look, I'll, I'll meet with you and it, it's going to be some time. It'll be a year, two years. I mean, Jesus what, spent three years with the apostles. But I am doing this so that you go out and do this with others. It is for a purpose. And even if you just pour into one person, it's worth it. Because God does extraordinary things. And remember, it's his harvest. He makes it grow. It's like that garden. right? You may plant right, the seeds, but he brings the sun. He makes the water, right? You may do the watering, but it's his water, and it grows. God is in charge of the growth. I'm going to share with you a quick story to finish this up of Swedish missionaries who were sent to the Congo in 1921 called David and Svea Flood. This is a story told by their daughter as she wrote 
this short story called A Story of Eternal Perspective in 1986, and it was about her parents, who in 1921, David and Svea Flood, living in Sweden, felt the call of discipleship, and they're like, let's go to Africa, let's go to the Congo to share the good news of Jesus with people who have never heard it. So they went with another couple called the Ericsons, right in the heart of the Congo in a village. They camped out there, made mud huts, and lived there, excited to proclaim the good news of Jesus to this tribe. They were met with every door slammed in their face because the chief of that tribe was like, there's no way we're going to compromise static from these other gods by listening to you and following your God. No, I won't take that risk for my people. Get out of here. They went through this for two years of just door after door slammed in their face. No discipleship opportunities except one little boy who would deliver eggs to their hut every day. And David and Svea Flood said, if this is the only person we're going to be able to disciple in our time here, and so be it. So they did. And that boy accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, continued to show up and be discipled by David and Svea until malaria struck the village. The Ericsons got it first and had to retreat to a nearby village where they had better medicine set up. So they had to leave the current village, leaving the floods all by themselves. And during this time, Svea got pr or was pregnant but also contracted malaria. And so she ended up dying after giving birth to their daughter, Aggie. And this broke David. Where he goes, God, what are you doing? He resented God. He goes, why? We came here for you because you called us to do this. And you take my wife we have no fruit here except one little boy. And he takes his daughter, Aggie, to go meet up with the Ericsons in the village nearby. Hands Aggie to the Ericsons and says, I am done with God. And he goes back to Sweden and he turns to alcohol and drowns his sorrows lamenting at God through the whole time. Erickson's shortly after die of malaria. Aggie is then given to another couple who takes her to the United States where she thrives. That couple, they become pastors at a local church, pour into Aggie. Aggie grows up to marry a man who becomes a Christian university president in the Washington area. Years go by, and Aggie is sent in the mail a Swedish magazine. And she's flipping through the pages, 
and she sees a white cross with the name Svea Flood across it and reads at the bottom how 600 people in this tribe came to Christ because of the work she did there. And just that one boy's life who grew up to build a Christian school in that area and even got the chief of the tribe to accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Years later, for Aggie and her husband's 25th anniversary, they are given a gift by the university to go to Sweden, her hometown. During this time, she's like, I have to see my dad. So she goes and visits David. She's told by her half-siblings, don't mention God to him. He is angry. He does not want to hear about God. And she goes, I just want to see him. She walks in to find her dad and liver failure, now 73 years old, just weathered from 50 years of hating God from taking his wife, being confused because he didn't get God's plan. And Aggie shared with him that article in the magazine. She goes, Papa, it was no waste. You just pouring into that one little boy that boy grew up to bring 600 people to know Jesus. David's heart was softened and he accepted Jesus back in his life with Aggie by his side. A week later, Aggie and her husband returned to the Washington area her father passed away. A couple years go by, and Aggie and her husband visiting an evangelical conference in London. She hears the speaker there. He's representing the region of Zaire, what was formerly known as the Congo. And he's a superintendent of the Nat National Church of Zaire. And he came there to report 110,000 believers baptized and on fire for Jesus. Aggie hears how, man, that's, he's, from that, he's from that village my parents were at. So after he gets done speaking, she goes and talks to him. And she goes, hey, did you know Svea Flood? And tears begin to roll down his eyes, and he goes, oh, ma'am, say a flood poured into me. Every day I would deliver eggs to her door. He goes, I lay a rose at her grave for every baptized believer, 110,000 in total at her grave. This is how God orchestrates our faithfulness. How would just one, one person being poured into the exponential growth of 
God's extraordinary ways. Know that this morning. None of this is in vain, even if it feels like it, even if it's painful, because at times it's going to be. But have faith. God is weaving all of this for his glory. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are so good. We just thank you for this time together to bask in just how good you are, to remember how good you are and what you have called us to, to go and make disciples, Lord. Build up your kingdom. Mm. Something we get to rejoice in for eternity. Oh, Father, soften our hearts to your truths and your ways. You're so good. You love us so much. You make us so great in your glory. But it's to make you greater. Because you are everything, Lord. You are the creator of everything. Nothing is bigger than you. Thank you for your love, your peace, your strength, your guidance, and your calling into our lives so we can have the greatest purpose in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.